0: you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, and we're going to read verses 11 to 18 uh, this morning as we consider God's word today, and um, it's a fascinating passage of scripture, and what I have tried to do this morning is rather than um, go through it verse by verse, although there'll be some sort of reference to that, I've tried more to just summarize my thoughts about this passage, and uh, it's been a passage that I've been wrestling with for almost three weeks now and um, am still challenged deeply by it. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 18. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you at one time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God, and in and he came, and he preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, Father, thank you now that as we continue to worship you, we, we do so around your word. Thank you for this living word of God, for this eternal word of God, for this true word of God. For every word is tested and true, every word um, will stand the test of eternity, and just as you are eternal, so your words are eternal. Just as you give life, so your words give life. And I pray even this morning as we take a few minutes to wrestle with some of these scriptures, Father, that um, they will give life to our hearts, that they will take what is hard in our hearts and make it soft, that they would take our heels, which are dug in, and would take them out and make our feet Feet that pursue peace and reconciliation. May we learn from the example of Christ this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a a book on my shelf. I've got a few books by Ravi Zacharias. Um, Raki <laughs> Ravi Zacharias is a gifted apologist. And uh, by the way, as a side note, um, on November 12, 13, and 14, um, here at our church, and you should mark it on your calendar, in our missions conference across the street and around the world, we have three team members from Rabbi, Ravi Zacharias International coming to do our weekend with us. It'll be a great weekend um, as they help us communicate the gospel across the street and around the world. Uh, so mark that date off in your calendar, but he's written a number of books. One of the books that he's written is called Five Cries of the Human Heart, and I picked that book off my shelf this past week and was just flying through the the, the cries again, and um, I, I thought, he, he's done a brilliant job, but there was one that I think that he has missed. And if I could be so bold as to say that about a guy who is, is gifted beyond I'll ever be. But the, the cry of the human heart that I think he has missed is the cry for peace. I think there is within every heart a longing to have hostilities and enmities ended. I think with in each and every one of us, we get tired of fighting. We get tired of rubbing um, or knocking heads together. And, and as the sort of the, the title of the sermon says, I'm tired of fighting, I just want peace. And I do think that is a longing of the human heart is to find peace, peace with others and certainly peace with God. As we consider the passage before us, um, uh, we're, we're still in uh, chapter two, which is um, part of the first three chapters, which focus is simply on what God has done for us. And so there is statement after statement after statement about how God has saved us, about God has delivered us, about God will give us knowledge about what Christ has done for us, about what the Holy Spirit has done for us. So it talks about the amazing riches that God has poured out into our hearts and lives. We've got a few more um, messages of that because it doesn't end until the end of chapter 3. And when you get to chapter 4, you get exhortation after exhortation, which tells us then now what we are to do in response to that. How we're to walk, how we're to talk, how we're to think, how we're to respond to other people, how we're to treat our husbands and wives, our children. So there's these considerable implications that he will say are the result of thinking about everything that God has done for you. But in the middle of this, he, 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 there's one exhortation that he gives. It starts in verse 11 and he says, Remember, remember. He doesn't want us to lose sight of everything that he's done for us so far, of the amazing way he's taken us from death to life, how he's taken us from darkness to light, how he's filled us with the Holy Spirit as as an assurance of what's coming, how Christ has done so much for us and facilitated our adoption, how he's loved us. And he says, remember, that's not how it always was for you. Remember that at one time your heart was full of hostility. Remember that at one time you didn't like God and you really didn't have a lot of time for other people who weren't like you. Remember what it was like before you found Christ. And so that's what he talks about here in this whole passage. I've, I've sort of worked it around this notion of reconciliation and peace. And I think if we're ever going to resolve our differences with one another and make peace with God, we have to think about a few of these things. And so the the first sort of summarizing statement that I found out of these passages, what cost are you paying to fuel a hostility? Is it worth it? In other words, every time you, 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 you determine in your heart that you're not going to make it right with somebody, that you're going to continue hostility towards somebody, that you're going like to make life miserable for somebody else, there is a price to pay for that. And so the, the, the Scripture says, and what I summarize it, what cost are you paying to continue to fuel a hostility? And is it worth it? You think of this in in the light of what Paul says in verse 11, he talks about the hostility that exists between different peoples. And here he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, and that hostility is revealed in name-calling. And often, that's the thing that we do to hurt people that are bugging us. We call them names. And we think that we grow up, we just get more refined in the names that we choose and in the way that we call people those things. And so Paul identifies the hostility that is existing between the Jew and the Gentile by the name-calling that has taken place. And the Jews, who are called the circumcised because they had a special place in the kingdom of God, looked at everybody who wasn't a Jew, all the Gentiles, and said, You're the uncircumcised. And there was a lot of bite behind that. There was a lot of hatred behind that. There was a lot of animosity behind that. And they didn't want to have any relationship with the Gentiles. And so they resorted in some part to name calling. The hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles was great. There's a number of places in scripture that illustrate this. But I think probably one of the the most shocking illustrations of this is the whole story of Jonah. Um, if you're familiar with the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, Jonah was a, a prophet of God. And God called him and he said, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and I want you to tell them about me. I want you to tell them that I can offer them life. I want, to tell them, uh, I want you to tell them that there is hope in me. And Jonah says, yeah, God, I'd love to do that. I'm on it. Yeah, right. If you know the story of Jonah, what he did was he looked at God and he said, phooey on you ran as far as he could on land, hopped on a boat, and went as far as he could away from God because he didn't want to tell other people about God. He had such a disdain and dislike for the Gentiles. And so you remember at that point, God turns Jonah around, um, turns the boat around, stops to sea. um, He gets transported by a whale rather than a boat back to land. And he goes and says, okay, God, I'll go. So he goes from one end of the city to the other end of the city and he shares the, 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 the fact that they need to repent and make it right with God and there is a revival. People turn to God by the hundreds, uh, if not thousands. And then we find Jonah moping. Why is he moping? Because he said, God, I knew you were a God of mercy and grace and I knew you would love them. That's why I didn't want to go to them. Such was their hatred towards one another, and the um, animosity that had been built up between them. I was reading in one, uh, one commentary by Charles Barkley. He writes this. He says, The Jews had an immense contempt for the Gentiles. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was equivalent to, to death. That was the level of animosity that existed between them, and that came at a great price. And not only was there name-calling, but there was barriers or dividing walls that were set up. In verse 14, it said that Christ came to destroy the dividing wall of hostility that was there. Anyone of you here this morning who has ever been in a conflict with somebody else, you know that walls go up. Sometimes they're walls of silence. We say, fine, I'm never going to talk to you again. And so we don't talk to them anymore sometimes they're walls of access you want to be like that you'll never see the kids you'll never get any money you'll never you'll 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 never get x y and z and so we set up walls of access sometimes they're walls of isolation we separate people from one another but there are all kinds of walls that we put up between one another as a way of 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 stating i'm mad at you and i don't care but there's also walls that we put up between nations. You're, you're, many of you are familiar with um, the Bamboo Curtain, which is a wall set up between communist China and the, and the rest of the, the nations around them. There is what we call the Iron uh, Curtain or the Berlin Wall, which came down 20 some odd years ago, that separated sort of the east from the west in Europe. And it was a wall that had been erected. It was a visible barrier that people lost their lives trying to cross from one side to the other. And if you're familiar now with what's going on in in Israel, there's the Israeli-Palestinian wall that is now being built that is hundreds of kilometers long to stop any reconciliation or relationship between the Palestinians and the Jews. And so we create these physical barriers even. And I think what Paul was talking about here is in the Jewish temple, there was the court of the Gentiles, there was the court of the women, there was the court of the the, sort of the men, there was a Holy of Holies, and between the court of the Gentiles and the rest of the temple, there was a wall that was built. And it was a wall that was about four feet, six inches high, and it was a wall that kept the Gentiles out of any contact with the Jews in worship. Think of that a wall built to keep Gentiles from gaining access to God. And along that wall was built um, were, were little signs that were written. And they found a couple of those signs in archaeological digs. And one of those signs is even now in a Turkish museum. And the sign, uh, what they wrote on those signs uh, was, was this. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That is the degree to which they hated one another. This is the cost. Or these are the costs of maintaining hostilities towards one another. We name call. We set up walls and barriers that deny access and that create isolation. And then there's not only those kinds of walls, but he says there's barriers between man and God. And he lists those in in verse 12 there, where he talks, and he uses these words, and we won't go into each of the phrases, just to mention the words. He says, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God. That was the bleak situation because of their hostilities, they didn't have hope, they didn't have God in their life, they didn't have the promises that God's people have, they didn't have access to the people of God, and they were outside of Christ. That was the cost of maintaining hostilities towards God. And the thing is that the plight of the Gentiles was not God's fault. It's not that, 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 um, that, that God had sort of seen an issue and said, fine, I'm re- withdrawing myself from these people and I'm setting up walls. God started in the garden with open communication and access. Mankind, because of their sin, created a barrier between God and mankind. And then all through the Old Testament, we see the way that we continue to create those barriers and those walls of hostility towards God. When you get to the Tower of Babel and and all humanity is scattering, there's language barriers, there's geographical barriers, there's all kinds of barriers that have created. It's not that man started out with many gods and is making his way to one God. Scripture says it's very clear that we started with one God and we've left him for many gods. As Romans tells us that God has made himself known in the heavens. But man has refused to acknowledge God. He's refused to be thankful to God for all that he has. And he's begun worshiping creation around him. So it's man that has moved away from God. So these are the kinds of barriers that have been set up. The cost is huge in our personal life and in our spiritual life. The costs are walls or barriers that we set up in our homes and in our relationships. They're walls and barriers that we set up physically to keep us away from people, a higher fence. They're walls of silence and attitudes that we say, I won't talk with that person. I won't communicate with them. The costs are high. The hostility towards others has a price to pay. The hostility that we have towards God has a price to pay. And so the question that I ask is what cost are you paying right now to fuel a hostility? Is it worth it? The second thing that I see in this passage to summarize it, and it is simply this. What cost are you willing to pay to effect reconciliation? Is it worth it or is it enough? Again, what cost are you willing to pay to effect reconciliation? Is it? enough this is amazing sort of verses that start at verse 13 they're very similar to verse 4 where we have there we are dead in our sins and trespasses under the wrath of God but God here we have alienated from one another alienated from God but now in Christ we have hope we have a solution and if that if, if we are to have any hope and if we're to recognize the solution it means that we have to deal with sin we have to deal with the main reason that there's barriers and there's hostilities towards one another and towards God. And I I, I tried to summarize this whole point this way. The cost of reconciliation is the willingness to give up your rights, to give up your rightness, and to bear the full weight of the responsibility for the hostility. I wrote that And I stopped and I started this considerable argument between myself and God. That's not fair. That's not right. What about this? What about that? They don't know how much they've hurt me. They don't know how much they've cost me. And all these arguments kept flooding through my head about why I didn't like that statement. But as I mauled it over again and again in my head, I said, no, that is the right thing to say. That the cost of reconciliation is the willingness to give up my rights and my rightness and be willing to bear the full cost for the reconciliation. Loved ones, you cannot force reconciliation, but you can remove every barrier to reconciliation. Okay, you cannot force reconciliation. I understand that, but you can remove every barrier to reconciliation how do we see this and this is I think something that's so important for us to understand and you say I can never do that Paul you just don't know what's happened in my life you just don't know the pain and hurt and I don't but what I'm looking at is what is our example well our example is Christ and what do we learn about Christ? Well, how, how do we summarize the cost? Well, I, I do it this way. We recognize that there is a problem and act on it even if we're not the problem. Okay, if you want to begin to understand what the cost is to reconciliation, recognize, it begins with recognizing there is a problem and acting even if you are not the problem. Now, I think of that in relationship to God. What does God do to us? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God did what he didn't have to do. God did something that even though he was right, he didn't need to do. God paid the full price of effecting reconciliation before I even responded to him or not. And then it says, And everyone who believes on Jesus Christ will be slaved God paid the whole price. He gave up his rights. He made the first move in order that we might be reconciled to him. In first Corinthians or second Corinthians chapter five. It's a, a great passage on reconciliation. In fact, one of the, 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 the fullest um, passages on reconciliation we find there. And in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read there that, um, let's say, start at verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. And then note this, that is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. In other words, God said, "Okay, I'm going to deal with the cost of their trespasses. I'm going to not count them against them. I'm going to head into the world and I'm going to pay the full weight of that consequence in order that I might effect reconciliation." Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God gave up, recognized there was a problem, acted even as though he weren't the problem, which he wasn't, sent his son, paid the price of our Sins and our trespasses, in order that we might have a way back to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 puts it another way that God demonstrate his love, demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Loved ones, that is our example. That is huge. And you think about it, okay, well, that's fine, that's God, but I'm, I'm okay. Well, what does Matthew. Chapter 5, say, this is, about, this is a, a passage directly sort of related to us. And let's maybe just read verse 23 and verse 24. Matthew five twenty-three, twenty-four. 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, you're gathered together and you're worshiping God. Or maybe you're having your, your, your quiet time with God. If you are offering your gift at the altar, and we talked about, I have an offering to bring. We sang that today. And you remember that your brother has something against you. Well, that's entirely different, right? I've not offended him. I've not done anything to him. I don't even know what I've done. But you you realize, no, he's not been talking to me the same way. He hasn't been thinking about me the same way. They've not been looking at me the same way. My wife's been giving me the cold shoulder. Whatever it might be. And you remember that somebody, your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. See, that is putting the weight and the responsibility of reconciliation on the party that's not the offending party. Loved ones, that is the cost that we need to be willing to pay in order to effect reconciliation. The second thing that I wrote about the cost um, from this passage is be willing to set aside your rights and make the first move. It's, it's sort of the, the same description, but this talks about what Christ has done for us and his model for us. In, first, in Ephesians 2.17, it says that he came and preached peace. Last week, we sang that song, Light of the world, you stepped down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Or you go to the book of Philippians, Philippians. Um, Uh, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, and there's that uh, beautiful passage about Christ, where, where Paul tells us, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we're to imitate Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Have the same mind yourself as Christ had. And then he goes on and he says, who? Though he was in the form of God, he was God, he did not account equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, I'm God, I'm right, uh, I've got it all right, there's it's not my problem. But notice what he says. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Loved ones have the same mind as Christ had. That is the cost of reconciliation. That is the price that we pay. I was thinking, again, of First Corinthians chapter 6, and it's a, a fascinating passage of Scripture as well, and it talks about hostilities between Christian brothers and sisters. And it's a, a passage that talks about the, the fact that there's one Christian and another Christian, and they can't resolve it, and they, they, they won't go to church people and resolve it, so they're going to go to court. And they're going to have the courts of the land solve it. They're going to sue. One's going to sue the other person. And Paul gives a whole number of reasons about why that should never take place. About why one Christian should never go to a secular court against another Christian. He says that shouldn't happen. But then he, he says, he, he, as, he, as he summarizes all the reasons, he comes to the end part there. And, uh, and he says in, in chapter 6, uh, he says there, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already defeat for you. That's amazing in itself. And then he says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Wow. Loved ones, that is what it means to affect reconciliation. I will not push my rights. I will not go for what's due me because it is better to suffer wrong, it is better to be defrauded and maintain a relationship and work towards reconciliation than to keep driving my rights home. And so he says there that we need to be those who are willing to set aside our rights and make the first move. And then the third thing in that is determining to pay the full price of reconciliation. We've been talking about this and pointing about this along the way, um, but if you ever want to effect true and lasting reconciliation with another person, there are times in which you have to determine that you will pay the full price of reconciliation. And you think, well, what does that mean? The only example I can give is, is the example in the spiritual realm of what Christ has done for us. Loved ones, we were enemies of Christ and God by our own doing. Our sin made it made us to the point where we didn't want God to have anything to do with us. We don't want him to rule over our life. We, we don't want him involved with us. We just want to do it our way in our own time and just stay out of my life. And we continue to offend him. But the scripture says that there's no way that we could make our way back to God even if we thought about him. And so Christ did for us what we couldn't do ourselves. Look at what he says um, in verse, uh, I think it's verse Uh, 13 of Ephesians um, chapter 2. He says that you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, we talk about the blood a lot in this church, and, and and I hope we understand that. By the blood of Christ, that means by the death of Christ. That means that Christ poured out his life when he shed his blood, in order that we could be reconciled to God through him. That is the price that God was willing to pay in order to facilitate a way back to him. He paid the full price of our reconciliation. But not only did Christ give his life in death for us, but he gave his life in life for us. In verse 14, it says there that, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In other words, what's that telling us is that Christ lived the perfect life. That Christ fulfilled the the reason that there are so many hostilities and barriers that he obeyed the law of God completely every command he obeyed, every ordinance he fulfilled, that in himself, in his flesh, he completely pleased God in every way. And that's necessary for us as well because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so how can we ever be reconciled to God? Because there's this barrier that exists. And so the Bible very clearly teaches in so many places that in his life and in his death, Price, Christ paid the price of our sins. He lived the life that we couldn't live in order to make it possible for us to find our way back to God. That is astounding stuff, loved ones, that God in Christ paid the full price of our reconciliation. Loved ones, if you're here this morning and, and you're wrestling with reconciliation today with somebody else or or even with God, it matters that you put your situation through the grid of salvation and through the grid of your salvation that you consider what God has done for you in Christ how God has reconciled you to himself through Christ and that 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 you work towards reconciliation in the same way that God has worked towards your reconciliation back to him this is tough stuff But this is the only way that the Bible says that we will come back into a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. Do you appreciate what God has done for you? Are you blown away by the fact that, that God stepped out of heaven and came to earth and lived and died in order that you might have a relationship with him? Are you not eternally thankful that God did not wait for you to make the first move towards him? Are you not willing to do for others then what God has done for you? The cost of reconciliation is the willingness to give up your rights, to give up your rightness, to bear the full rate of responsibility for the hostility. I see this probably most often in marriage, and it's not with any, uh, it's probably with a great sense of sorrow that I look back over our 29 years of marriage and I find that I've not been able to do this very well. That we're not Kathy, the one who was willing to give up her rights and her rightness and walk towards me, we probably wouldn't have done very well. Because I just had this, st- I was unwilling and, and still find myself unwilling to pay the price. There's something inside. But I, I think, you know, when I speak to husbands here now, Because it's very clear in in Ephesians, and we'll get to this in a few months, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, men, we are to follow in the footsteps of Christ in the area of reconciliation with our spouses. I don't know why I find it so hard. Maybe you're different than me. I don't know why. Why? But I need to learn to be more like Christ and to say, you know what? Uh, and usually I am wrong, so it's not that Kathy's ever wrong. But I, I need to be one that is willing to set aside my rights, to set aside the the things that, that, that I think I can stand on and say, you know what? I won't wait for you to come to me. I will go to you. And I think, well, men, you've got a beautiful opportunity to learn a little bit more about that by the men's retreat that's coming up this weekend and if you've got at all a possibility of getting away for the next uh, few days on uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday you can talk to some of the guys at the back and this is some of the stuff that they talk about is how do we be men of Christ and follow Christ so what cost are you willing to pay is it enough is it enough and then finally and very quickly what benefits will you gain from reconciliation will you dream What are the benefits that you gain from... Just as there is a price to pay for being unwilling to reconcile, and most of us here know that, there is also riches and a reward to be paid or to be gained from going through reconciliation. I'll list these very quickly because I want to spend a little bit of time. Reconcile to each other. This is the astounding thing in Scripture that we find is that God has taken people who hated one another... And because of what Christ has done, he has made us together in one humanity. That is astounding. Now, we don't see that much here. Kath and I were just over in Vancouver on this weekend, and, and um, when we went to, when I was in ministry over there, we were in churches that we had people from every race, tribe, and tongue worshiping together in front of us, be- behind us. We'd, we'd eat together, and, and you could see visibly the, the one humanity that God has created when you live in a place like Vancouver. We don't see that in the same way here in Parksville, but God has done this amazing thing, and he takes people who we have deep-seated hostilities towards, and prejudice towards. And he saves them the same way that we are saved. By the blood and life of Christ. And he brings us into one family. That is such a beauty. There is such a richness. That comes from living with and eating with. And fellowshipping with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And even learning from those that at one time you couldn't stand. And then he goes on and he says, Not only are we reconciled to each other, we're reconciled to God. We'll say a little bit more about that as we get to the end. Thirdly, he says there's peace. Peace. Isn't that what we all want? I just want peace. I'm tired of the tension. Tired of the walls. Tired of the frustration. Tired of the hostility. I just want peace. And so that's what Paul tells us here. In Christ, he not only is our peace, he himself is our peace. He makes it possible for us to be at peace with others and possible for us to be at peace with God. And then finally, he says we have access to God. That is the most thrilling part of this whole effect of reconciliation is access to God. One commentator said, We are now considering one of the greatest and most glorious statements that is found in the whole of Scripture. And he says it should simply amaze us. Just the fact of becoming a Christian should amaze us. That we have access to God. And this access to God has come at a huge price. And it's it's come with every member of the Godhead at work. Remember we say God is one, but he exists in three persons. And so we have God the Father who has made this great plan of salvation. Not just individual salvation, but of bringing us in one humanity together to him. God has planned it. But it's, it, it's God the Son who affects it, who accomplishes. It's by his life and by his death that we are able to be reconciled to God. And then it's God the Holy Spirit who gives us new life. And then who forms us into the image of Christ. And who one day will transform these lowly bodies into perfect bodies. And so it takes all three members of the Trinity to work in us so that we can have access to God. And that access, it simply means we can approach Him. That that we can be introduced to Him. That we can have a relationship to Him. All of this is done in order that He might bring us to God. And you might have noticed, I don't know if you noticed the transition. All the way through, he's talking about Him and God. When you get to verse 18, it says, and we have access to who? The Father. The Father. Our Father who art in heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God, no one comes to the Father but by me. Um, You know, what does John say? That it's an amazing thing that we should be called sons and daughters of God, that God should be our Father. I think there's not a person here that doesn't desire a great relationship with a Father figure. I don't care who you are. I I think every one of us wishes at some point we had have had a great relationship with our dads. And regardless of how our earthly fathers worked out, some very good, some very bad, in God the Father, we find this brilliant, perfect, wonderful relationship. And this is the end result of salvation, that we have access to God. Loved ones, there is great fruit and riches to be gained by effecting reconciliation with one another and with God. Will you not take a chance? Acknowledge the cost that you're paying to harbor hostilities? Say, I am willing to pay whatever it takes in order to effect reconciliation. And then I am going to dream about the possibilities that will now come into my relationships because we are now reconciled.